0: Hi friends, I'm Kristen V.H. Middleton, and you're listening to Christian Authentic, a podcast exploring the lives of LGBTQ plus people in the Christian church. Thank you for joining us. I'm so glad you're here today.
1: Like all those different lenses and social locations, they all see things in a different mm-hmm. way. And I like to think that it's kind of like a mosaic mm. and we all bring together our, our in our, the way we see the world, the way we see God and faith, and we're gonna get the fuller picture when everyone contributes.
0: For those of you just joining us today, I'm a Christian wife and mother who identifies as a straight, cisgender female. I 100% affirm and support the LGBTQ population, and I believe in their full inclusion in the Christian church. Gary, 29, is a gay man born and raised in the Pacific Northwest, who grew up in the Four Square Assemblies of God Church and graduated college with a Bachelor of Arts in Biblical Studies with a minor in Leadership. Gary is now pursuing his master's degree in Clinical Mental Health Counseling. On this episode, Gary tells the story of reconciling his faith and sexuality during a transformative God-ordained moment in Bangkok, Thailand. While he was on a Christian mission trip, Gary also hosts the podcast, Beautiful Tension. Gary, so glad you're here today. How are you doing?
1: I'm great. How are you doing today?
0: Good, good. I'm really honored to have you on my show. Um, I was thinking we could start out with a fun question that I ask all of my guests. um, And that is, if you could describe how you're feeling in terms of a shape and color, this morning um what shape and color do you feel like and
1: why Ooh, great question I would probably (laughs) say you know it's been a frantic morning a little bit over here so I feel like maybe a circle because I don't know I imagine a circle is like a ball that's just rolling downhill at lightning speed you know Uh, yeah yeah so maybe a circle uh, and then for color kind of related to the, the hectic morning, you know, but maybe like a yellow, like there's just like a lot oh. of energy, very vibrant, very awake, very cool. happy, you know, but yeah, very energetic.
0: <laughs> okay. That's awesome. So, so,
1: yeah,
0: I hear you feel like a circle and um, the color is yellow and you're kind of having mm. a frantic morning or there's lots of energy, but also really happy.
1: Yes, all the things.
0: <laughs> I love it. I love it. I um also had a busy morning with my toddlers. <laughs> and um I at the start of this call I'm feeling like a kind of a shape that has lots of squiggly lines around the edge almost like a cartoon. Um and my color is orange. I'm also just feeling very happy and energized mm-hmm. to to be here um interviewing you today.
1: I love it. Thanks for having me here. This is exciting. Yeah.
0: Absolutely. Um, Gary, can you tell our listeners um, how you identify in terms of your age, your gender, your orientation, and your religious affiliation?
1: Yes. So I am 27 years old. I generally identify as a gay man, um, though similar to a lot of queer folks. I do identify as queer often. I mean, really all the time. I think, you know, I was listening to a previous episode and, and she put it well, but It is a very inclusive, all-encompassing term. And I think although within the queer umbrella, you know, everyone's identities, experiences are vastly different Mm -hmm. um, in a lot of ways. But I think it captures this notion that per gender, sexuality, gender expression, like I'm outside the cisgender heterosexual norm. So uh, right, right. Yeah. So gay man, queer, cisgender. (laughs) My yeah. religious affiliation. <laughs> there might be a longer question uh, about this, but <laughs> yeah, my generally speaking, I grew up in the Foursquare Church, a little bit of Assemblies of God briefly in high school. So generally, very evangelical, more charismatic, especially in high school, and then, well, yeah. Oh, and then how I currently identify too. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, that's a tricky one. You know, I think these days I would say non-denominational, but not the uh-huh. way the churches in my childhood meant that.
0: Because <laughs> yeah. that
1: was kind of a blanket, like evangelical church. Uh, right. You know, I think I identify with more liturgical traditions. Mm-hmm. Um, Gosh, more towards the realm of like, I don't know, Presbyterian, like kind of that direction,
0: yep, yeah, uh, that, higher,
1: yeah. higher liturgy, higher church, but then, you know, more progressive theology.
0: Yeah. So absolutely. that makes sense.
1: Hard to wrap that up in one word, but yeah, <laughs> no,
0: that was an excellent description. So I hear that just to recap some of that you're 27 and you identify as a gay man. Um, you also use the term queer, and you like that it's inclusive um, of the LGBTQ plus community. Um, and <clears throat> you currently identify as um, a non-denominational Christian, more like liturgical, leaning towards Presbyterian, um, with progressive theology, higher liturgy. Um, mm-hmm. And you grew up in the Foursquare slash Assemblies of God Church, so a kind of charismatic evangelical environment. Yeah. <clears throat> awesome. Spot on. Thanks for, thanks for <laughs> that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think it's helpful for audience members to kind of um, learn a little bit of that background um, and get some context for your story. So yeah, with that in mind, um, I want to just start by telling the audience, like you have this amazing podcast yourself. It's really refreshing and just has so many beautiful episodes on it that I've enjoyed listening to. And it's called Beautiful Tension. And you launched it in May. Is that right, Gary?
1: Yeah. A little ways into COVID. um, Yeah.
0: Yeah. Okay. So May 2020. Amazing. And can you talk a little bit about what beautiful tension means and um, how that tension has been true on your own life journey as a gay Christian man?
1: Yeah. So with the podcast, well, actually I need to back it up. Uh, It really started with my own journey and we can get more into that too, into the specifics, but I came out at the age of 22, so uh, it was about four and a half years ago now, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and at the time I was, I had just started a two-year missions experience in Bangkok, Thailand, doing community development work, so I come out in the middle of this mission experience that in my mind was the pinnacle of my call to ministry and everything I thought God was leading me to, So in the organization, they did support my coming out process. And I really appreciated that. But beyond that, it was, you know, they said, don't act out on it. And before coming out, we can get into this later too. I didn't actually think I was gay or queer. I thought I was straight. And so not Mm -hmm. acting out Mm -hmm. is clear when you're in the closet. You're like, oh, great. Like no dating, no boyfriends, blah, blah, blah. Right. But I came out and realized how much my sexuality. And I think this is true for all of us. Your sexuality permeates every part of your life and who you are. It's how you engage the world, see the world. And so to be told to not act out on it, I was like, wait, you know, there's a cognitive dissonance there of
0: Mm, beautiful. Yeah.
1: You know, and that was really hard to grapple with. And so therein lied the tension for me of, okay, I'm out. I've begun to integrate my identity, but I don't know what that means for my life, especially in the mission field, you know, and I thought right. my life was going this way and now it feels like everything's being upended um, and not just because I came out but of other factors too yeah. so I remember vividly um, in Bangkok there's canals everywhere and they kind of have like a mass transit canal boat like system that you can oh, get around cool. the city on
0: yeah. it's the
1: they call it in Thai, it's the Klong or the canal um, okay. and it smells terrible (laughs) Bangkok's pretty polluted but I remember being on uh you know on one of the boat taxis one day and kind of wrestling with these things in my heart and through prayer and just talking to God God was like Gary this is a beautiful tension you're in and Mm -hmm. it's good and yes it's hard but like I'm with you in this and Mm -hmm. there was such there was an overwhelming sense of peace and assurance that really overtook me and th- those words beautiful tension stuck with me ever since so then very soon after that i ended up renaming my blog site which was then on wordpress to beautiful yeah. tension because it captured my journey well and i right. subtitled it life and things learned as a queer person of faith and then last august in 2019 i made a new website on squarespace garyconahan.com and that tit- that was titled beautiful tension So Mm. when it came to making this podcast earlier in the spring, and I was brainstorming ideas for it, the name just felt fitting. I was like, beautiful tension. Like if there's anything I want to share with the world, like stories that are like, yes, they're hard, but they're also meaningful. It's things that we, they're things we need to be talking about. And there's also beauty that comes from those things, you know, so from my own journey, all the way through the vision of the podcast, and then what the podcast has become, it's, you know, it's not trying to sugarcoat anything, but it is trying to acknowledge, we all have these stories. And yes, there have been a lot of hardships we've all been through. But often those things bring the most beauty and the most, maybe even joy in life, even if indirectly, You know, so it's, it's, it's this tension. It's this fine line. I don't want to tell anyone going through some hardship that like, Hey, you know, look on the bright side, look (laughs) at the joy that's come out of us. Cause I do think there's meaningless, awful stuff that just happens to us and there isn't necessarily joy or beauty that comes out of it. But I do think there are a lot of cases where that is. So
0: yeah, I, I love the podcast. Oh my gosh. That's so awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I I think too, like what you're saying about, you know, going through hardship, it can really lead to um, transformation and um, beauty and joy, like you're saying, and transformation, even in the sense of how we understand ourselves and the world around us. Um, And I Mm -hmm. love that image, Gary, that you gave of, you know, how you were on the boat taxi one day in the canal Mm -hmm. system over in Bangkok. And that was a place that was the moment where you felt, The presence of God and you thought to yourself, like, yeah, this is hard, but I have to go through with this. I have to be true to myself as a gay man and come out. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's interesting how sometimes life's big moments, I know for me too, have happened in kind of the most ordinary spaces or mundane moments of the day.
1: Yeah. And Um, I haven't even fully connected those dots either of like, I was in a hot, smelly, uncomfortable place. (laughs) And there is God telling me, Hey, like there's tension. Like this isn't cute. You know, this isn't fun, but like, I'm here with you in this. And I think that I don't think that's coincidence that I was on the canal when that happened. So thanks for highlighting that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I want to touch on something you also said that I thought was really relevant to our conversations um, within the context of the podcast. And today which is you mentioned how sexuality permeates everything. Um, And I think you were talking kind of in relation to one's identity. And I think that's a a really um, illuminating statement. And I would agree with it um, both personally and through observations of others. And I think in in Christian culture, we often talk about sexuality in a very... um, hush hush way and it we talk about it in ways that are toxic or that that you know name sexuality is something that should be you know very much constrained and yet being comfortable with one's sexuality whether it's your sexual orientation you know within the context of a relationship how you engage sexually with somebody you know these are all things that um can be viewed from a very healthy perspective. And I know that you are, you know, you have a BA in biblical studies with concentration and leadership. And right now you're currently working on your MS in clinical mental health counseling. And I was wondering if you could speak to that a little bit from a mental health perspective, how, you know, being comfortable with one's sexuality um, is very important for being a balanced and healthy person.
1: Yeah. What an interesting question. I think and of course I'll be generalizing here. This won't apply to all churches and all people of faith. But I what often happens is that and I think a lot of this maybe comes from American culture where we are I this might trigger some folks and I, I don't intend that if it does, but you know, this culture mm-hmm. is very hypersexualized. Yeah. Um, I would and agree I think with maybe that yeah. Maybe a way to capture that, you know, it's like You've got, you know, in Europe, there's like co ed spas and it's like not weird to be naked together. But like here in America, that's super sexual and weird, right? And in, in mm-hmm. a lot of, for a lot of folks. So something yeah. like that where there's, there's not a lot of room for us to just acknowledge something like our bodies or, you know, whatever without it being some, having some ulterior motive or, oh, it's like sexual somehow. Right. And, you know, to be sure, yes, like our bodies are inherently sexual. We we're designed that way. Mm-hmm. But, I think so what happens with the queer community and especially how a lot of the churches responded to it, gender, gender identity, sexuality, they get whittled down to sex. And Mm. it's like, and, and I don't know, maybe, uh, sorry, (laughs) I'm trying to get my words together. Yeah. This Um, is a tough,
0: this is a tough topic and it's not an easy or light one, but I think it's like, You know, for lack of better words, it's something we have to drag into the light because, you know, it's like there's two extremes. You can have a hypersexualized, you know, society like we do in terms of how you look at media, for example. Um, But then on the other hand, not talking about sex, not acknowledging someone's sexuality and keeping it very closeted and hush hush, even for heterosexual people within the Christian culture. I think that leads to a stifling of self-expression too. So it's like, where do you find that middle ground, that healthy balance, right?
1: Yeah, definitely. And I think, excuse me, I think that generally speaking, you know, straight folks may not necessarily have to. I think it's safe to say that those who are queer on the gender sexuality spectrum, like Mm -hmm. we have probably thought about our sexuality or gender way more than cisgender straight people (laughs) because we're in this world that's, you know, there's a stark contrast between who we are and the majority. So of course, we're thinking about it all the time. I think that goes for any marginalized group where you're Mm -hmm. struck by your difference constantly. Um, But yeah, and so... Yeah. I think your, your gender, your sexuality, it permeates every part of you. It's how you engage people. It's, it's something that's hard to articulate even. Mm -hmm. Um, But you know, if we wanted to talk about intersectionality, you know, like the many different parts of me are going to shape how I see the world and how I move in the world and also how the world responds to me. So I was talking with some friends the other day about this, where, you know, yes, I'm a gay man, but like, if you change you know, the, the racial piece, like I'm a white Mm -hmm. gay man, but a black gay man will have a very different experience in the world because of his race, you know? And so, so my, my social location as a man affects how I see the world, uh, being gay that affects how I see the world being cisgender and so on. Right. All these parts of me kind of give it a different color, um, to how I see, see things and see life. And so, I don't know, I remember growing up and maybe this will help flesh all this out better, but I remember growing yeah. up feeling like something was like wrong with me emotionally. Like I would, mm-hmm. it was like, why were male friendships so important? And why was, it, why was it so heartbreaking when this guy I was close to just platonically got a girlfriend and I was devastated. I was like, wait, no, like no. I thought this was our like friendship and we had intimacy here. And certainly that didn't go away. But what I wasn't able to name back then was, oh, like, you don't have an emotional problem, you're gay. And so I didn't know it then. But I was looking for kind of deeper emotional connection with guys. You know, so it's something like that, where, you know, I will engage relationships differently than a straight man will. And it I don't know. I feel like all this articulating doesn't do the question justice. Um, No, it's great.
0: Did you feel like you had the tools when you were a kid? I mean, to even be able to identify what you were going through? It sounds like maybe you were figuring that out, but didn't necessarily have the language or the know-how of like what you could be experiencing and who you were in terms of that identity piece. Yeah, I did
1: not have... (laughs) I had a Hmm. lot of tools, but they weren't the most helpful. Um, You know, I mean, growing up in the church, the script I was given for everything I was feeling and experiencing, you know, it came from a straight cisgender church majority. And so and pastors and biblical interpretations. So I was told, you know, oh, you're attracted to men because there's some dysfunction around your friendships with other guys or you're experiencing, you know, same-sex attraction because the whole distant father overbearing mother motif for gay men or oh queer gosh, men yeah, like that. Before, yeah. And of course, you know, I feel like all of our parents probably fit that mold to some degree. Like you <laughs> just culturally, you look at, you know, yeah. boomers or even Gen X, and there's kind of these traits of like, you know, in our culture, women are supposed to be more social and like outgoing. And then fathers mm-hmm. tend to be more quiet and reserved and without friendships and they, they love their children by providing for them, right? Like these are American right. dream, like American society motifs that are thankfully changing and maybe evolving, uh, mm-hmm. fading away, mm-hmm. but that's the world our parents grew up in. So it's almost like they yeah. use this cultural piece to describe what was happening you know, in a cultural moment and then using that as an excuse to write off the queer community because mm-hmm. it, it was just right. an easy cop-out like oh look we can see what's happening culturally clearly that's making all these folks gay but i mean the irony you know or the the, the rub with that is that it obviously doesn't apply to all queer folks you know oh yeah
0: definitely. you've got
1: queer people with great relationships with their dads or absent mothers or or straight yeah. people with one or the other and it's like it's not consistent. right you can't point
0: to that as a cause definitely not yeah certainly not in a sweeping way um with regard to your own parents and and your family of origin and your churches um did you feel supported when you came out i know you were 22 so you were sounds like you were probably outside the home at that point more or mm-hmm, less but did you f- feel like you had pushback or support
1: whew, big question uh family yeah. is a tender one <laughs> for a lot of us right. i you know it was interesting i so I came out to all my friends first because that felt way easier. And to be sure it was, mm-hmm. I think younger folks generally are more accepting of, of queer people. So that, yeah. went, that went really well across the board. But then I started coming out to family. So I meant to come out to my parents after my friends. They were my next logical step for coming out. Yeah. And I wasn't going to come out to them when I did. But it was June of 2016 and mm-hmm. June 12th, I think it was. And the Pulse nightclub shooting happened.
0: Oh, and that right. oh yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Wrecked me like
0: mm. oh, so,
1: so hard. And I remember, again, that that still small voice, you know, kind of in my in my prayers, like just being like, hey, like, you're hurting, like, reach out to your mom. Like you can do this, oh, you know, and, and yeah. we've been, we've been close. My dad died when I was 15. And I think especially that point yeah. onward, my mom and I got close, closer. Yeah, And so, uh-huh. you know, out of that context and then pulse happening, I was like, I need to tell her. So then I'm like, Hey, I've been And just for our, t-
0: for our audience who may not know fully about pulse, um, that was basically, a, um, for lack of better words, a massacre on a gay nightclub in Florida, was it?
1: Yeah, in Orlando, Florida, um, and 50-something people died. Pretty much, I think all people of color, really young, uh, queer, you know, predominantly, if not all. It's just so devastating. And, you know, we can get into this, too. I mean, side note here. Like, I remember Mm -hmm. having an aunt who told my mom pretty much verbatim, like, you know, very religious aunt, uh, but like they deserved it because they weren't living according to God's plan. And I remember being so angered by that. I was like, you know, and we could have a whole other conversation about like, okay, so like
0: that, that uh, really makes me angry too. I just have to say because God's plan is never for people to be massacred or hurt. I really don't believe that. Um, You know, especially with Jesus bringing in the new law um, you know, ushering in the new law when he fulfilled um, you know the gospels, uh, and and I just think that we really need to examine, you know, how how we think about marginalized people. So I'm sorry um, that your aunt said that, but it makes no, me feel emotional too.
1: It's very hurtful, and you know, it's it's. I mean, for her specifically, it's like, okay, we, you know, abortion, according to her, is murder, but then that was justified somehow. I mean, there's a dissonance mm-hmm. there, right? And so it's like, how does this worldview work? It's really interesting. So yeah, so Pulse happens, right. it's complicated. I'm, I'm hurting, I, I was kind of in the slump after coming out a few months prior, you know, everything was just catching up to me. So I reach right. out to my mom, I tell her about Pulse and she was so sweet. <laughs> she sends me this text and she goes, hey, like, I'm, you know, I'm so sorry. Like, that is so heartbreaking. She's like, you know, your stepdad and I are here for you. And to mm-hmm. show our support, she's like, we changed our, our Facebook profile picture frame to we are Orlando. To support you in that community and she doesn't know i'm gay at this point oh, i haven't come out to uh-huh. her yet but something so small is like changing their frame on their profile picture and if yeah. i hadn't been at a food court having lunch in that moment when i got that text i would have just like bawled because oh, and like she yeah. didn't know she was saying this but like i get that text and what i hear is like i'm supporting you as a gay man and you know in yeah. addition of course to the the victims and families but that was so powerful so at this point i'm thinking like mom is going to be so chill this is going to go great so then I'm I'm, eventually like mom there's some more to this but we should talk on mm-hmm. the phone so then a couple of days later we talk on the phone it's like yeah. 5 a.m her time you know I'm in Thailand right so she's here in the yeah. Pacific Northwest it's like five in the morning for her and we're talking and you know I was she was the only person I came out to and explicitly said mom I'm gay like everyone else yeah. I kind of told my coming out story but I didn't use any words around it other than coming out Um, but with my mom, I knew I had to name it blatantly. And so, you know, and to be, to my surprise, she had a hard time. Um, she Mm -hmm. did break down and I think she was feeling a lot, you know, it wasn't even like she was angry or disappointed in me. She, but she had a lot of fears for me, especially with our family. And I can share more about that, you know, but we do have a very religious, very conservative family. And, and she was like, how are the family going to respond? are they going to kick you out of the mission field? You know, she was just thinking of mm-hmm. ministry opportunities dissolve, you know, kind of going out of reach at that point. She was very mm-hmm. scared for me. And I think that was a lot of what she was feeling. And then also just, you know, I think for the mom of a queer child, there is grief there. Not, I mean, for some folks, yes, the grief and the fact that they're queer, but I think for a lot of parents, they have this, they simply just have this vision of this, mm-hmm. this het norm, you know, my child's in my case, you know, my son's going to grow up, find a wife, have children, make me a grandma. You know, this was this narrative <laughs> she'd kind of dreamt of. And
0: you still may, you still and may uh, have children, but but still yeah, have sure. Children, you the, know, but... in a straight sort of heteronormative way.
1: Right, and and that dream might have thought kind of yeah. well, it did dissolve for her too when I came out, <laughs> and so I think she yeah. was also grieving that, and she said as much, you know, and yeah. so. Yeah, it was hard for us um, initially, but we talked it out. And I think in the ensuing years, you know, we definitely had our bumps. Um, I'll, I'll say that my mom is a cisgender straight woman. Like, does she always get it right? No. But like, you know, just the other day, we talked for like an hour, hour and a half and just aired all of these things about issues I've been having with family, you know, and like being able to mm-hmm. have that space with her to just name yeah. it all and support each other you know and i recorded my mom was on the podcast y'all can listen to right. it. right yeah three. that episode
0: but yeah, it was, was awesome
1: you know is our relationship perfect no they never are but like she is a great ally in so many ways i mean she connected me to you you know like she got yeah, so excited she she's your like
0: your mom did connect us. That's absolutely <laughs> right
1: podcast talk to him and she, I, lo- I love that
0: she adores you oh my goodness she so. loves you that Her was... love is very palatable, uh, but yeah, I hear that, and I think it's important too for you know listeners to hear this that relationships are not perfect, and that doesn't mean to you know I'm not saying that to excuse if someone's hurtful, um, mm-hmm. you know, but but certainly that um, I, I think our relationships, often our most close ones, whether they're with parents or partners or siblings, uh, evolve, and where you know, and I say this as a message of hope too for you know, some of our listeners who may be LGBTQ plus Mm -hmm. and feeling very alone right now, you know, it, in some cases, it really may get better. Um, You just have to take it one day at a time. But your relationships with people who may be non-affirming at first can get better. And I've heard that time and time again through stories that people have told me.
1: Yeah. And Um, that strikes me too, you know, I think there is a tension between, obviously not putting up with hurt or abuse or, you know, microaggressions. Like if people aren't willing to dialogue or to, to change or make amends, you know, obviously I would never tell any queer person to put up with that, but there are folks, there are a lot of people kind of in that middle camp where they may not be affirming, but they're willing to learn. And I remember when I first came out, a friend of mine who'd come out a bit prior to myself I love the way he framed this. He was like, Gary, there's three different categories of people you're gonna face being out as a gay man. He's like, yeah. camp, camp one, affirming folks. they're great. obviously keep them in your life da 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 you <laughs> know? And then like camp two, uh, you know people that are not affirming and won't even be willing to dialogue. you know maybe it's the person who just sends you Bible verses aggressively or Ugh, ex-gay yeah. videos, you know uh, that's toxic and not healthy. Um, Right. So those people, you know, there need to be boundaries there. But then that third camp, it's the folks who may not be affirming, but they're willing to dialogue. And we need that, right? Like we need not to justify our existence. You know, I'm not saying that, but like, we need those folks who may not agree to us. Like, I think we can maintain relationship with people in Mm -hmm. that third camp. And for me, like people for me in that camp have been the ones who have said, I've studied the Bible, you know, th- this is where I've landed, i.e., you know, maybe not inclusive queer relationships. Like they don't see that as in line with scripture, but mm-hmm. they've then followed that up with, but what's your story? Tell me your process. And then I share mm-hmm. all that with them. And they mm-hmm. go, at the end of it, they go, Gary, thanks for sharing. I love you. I had one friend who we had that whole conversation. And then she goes, yeah. and I still want to hear about your boyfriends or the guys you are dating, you know? And I was like, <laughs> and that's so sweet. Like, yeah, obviously, I really wish, loving. you know, I wish yeah. everyone were affirming. I don't think personally that a non-affirming theology is helpful in any way. Like, I just don't, I don't think it's it's good for queer folks and in integrating their lives and identities. But if there's a way right. for people to disagree respectfully and lovingly, you know, it's like the folks that can say, hey, this is my journey, but I will not let my beliefs or where I'm at, get in the way of us being in
0: relationship.
1: And I think those mm-hmm. folks do a great job of showing they love you for you, you mm-hmm. know? So I love yeah, that my I think friends that's said
0: powerful. that. I, I love that idea of there being three camps, you know, like the first being people who are hundred percent affirming, celebrate you and the LGBTQ community for who you are. And the second camp being, you know, people who don't dialogue are non-affirming, um, not really willing to see Um, your side of the story, um, and even perhaps pushing, you know, non-affirming texture on uh, scripture on you. Um, And then there's a a third group. And I think this is really important. Um, And I think even some of our audience um, may perhaps identify with this third group where they're in process, Um, they're they're willing to hear more, they perhaps don't know too many LGBTQ plus Christians, and they want to hear your story. And they're not you know, they're not sure if they can move from a non-affirming stance because the way that they read scripture is, um, you know, you know, a non-affirming way. But yet there's a gray area that they're willing to work yeah. within. So that's really important to hear. Um, you know, I'm, I'm thinking now, too, about social scientist Brene Brown. Um, she has a book out there called Braving the Wilderness, um, and she talks about true belonging, Mm -hmm. And um, she says that true belonging is the spiritual practice of believing in and belonging to yourself so deeply that you can share your most authentic self with the world Mm -hmm. and find sacredness in both being a part of something and standing alone in the wilderness. True belonging doesn't require you to change who you are. It requires you to be who you are. Mm -hmm um powerful quote there i of course am thinking also about the many times that jesus himself went into the wilderness um both for reflection um safety and communion with god um and certainly you know the 40 days he spent there <clears throat> um you know triumphing over satan's temptations before he came into ministry Um, So the wilderness plays a big role in how we think about um, perhaps our own journeys as Christians. But I wanted to ask you, Gary, do you agree with this kind of concept that Brene Brown talks about regarding true belonging? Um, I love how she says, belonging to yourself so deeply that you can share your most authentic self with the world. Mm. Like, why is being authentic really important? Why does that position us um, best to live out the gifts that God has given us?
1: I love Brene Brown. I have that book right in front of me. <laughs> I <laughs> dove yeah. into her work. Finally, I actually hadn't read a whole lot, but yeah. I, I dove in after quarantine hit and I wasn't working. And it's, I mean, this sounds trite, but it changed my life and it's its really mm. been a game changer.
0: Absolutely.
1: So yeah, True Belonging, man. I love the way she frames that true belonging is belonging to you. I think, of course, you know, and she says this too, we do need community as well. That doesn't just mean I can go it alone. Um, But I feel like you're more grounded when you belong to yourself and when you can live, have integrity with Mm -hmm. yourself and be honest about you and who you are because You know, I spent up until, well, sorry, tongue-tied. Especially before I came out, I really lived to please other people in a lot of ways. Mm. Like, I'm an Enneagram four wing three. And if y'all don't know the Enneagram, it's a great, (laughs) it's not a personality test. (laughs) But it's a a self-reflective tool to not box you in, but to help identify how you operate and then to break you out of it so that you grow. That's a very boiled down version of what the Enneagram is but you know that that three wing the threes are the achievers and okay yeah tell us what you are
0: in plain speak (laughs) yeah sure I know I'm like yeah
1: translate this (laughs) so no there's there's nine different types and they're basically kind of masks we put on as we grow up and ways of being we learn to operate in the world Mm -hmm. so the numbers aren't in any ranking order that's just incidental it's one through nine And Mm -hmm. so the type four is often called the, the romantic, the romantic. And that's essentially, you know, they tend to associate with a lot of creative types uh, everything, you know, to live a thriving, successful life. Like they want everything to have meaning and kind of Mm -hmm. a deeper purpose. And that goes from their work to their relationships. And then Mm -hmm. the, the three wing, so, like you draw on the numbers next to yours too, as mm-hmm. kind of a way to, of being. And so the threes are the achievers, right? And they're very success-driven, very like, how can I curate my image so that everyone around me will think I'm awesome? And mm-hmm. I've I've been processing that three wing lately and how it's shown up in my life. And I bring that up because it's a great way to articulate, you know, how I've lived. Um yeah. but before I came out, I feel like and I, I say this kind of with not shame, but like, kind of like, oh, that wasn't so healthy. But, you know, <laughs> I curated this image. I mean, I felt like I was the poster child for evangelical Christianity. It's like, you know, mm-hmm. I, I got a Bible. I had been involved in church growing up. I then got a Bible degree. I then went into the mission field. I wasn't mm-hmm. acting out on my quote unquote, same sex attractions. Like I felt like I was nailing it, you know? And so, <laughs> awesome. and so coming right, out, right inevitably i mean just saying yo i've been attracted to guys like that alone like took that image people a lot of folks had of me and like disintegrated it and and that Mm. was a hard adjustment of being out you know realizing simply by being authentic a swath of people are automatically gonna write me off discredit everything i mean i there are folks that think that you know i i got this bible degree and became affirming like some could look at that and go, Oh, wow. Like maybe there's something to his journey if he studied the Bible and landed there, but there's other folks that take the coming out, see that as wrong. And then they write off the Bible degree and then go, Oh, well that institution might not be legit because that's where they led him. You know what I mean? And so I bring all that up because, you know, coming out I'm more grounded now. I I spent so much of my life in the closet, people pleasing, trying to make everyone around me happy, curating this image of myself. And it, it felt like everything was fine on the outside. But deep down, I was not content. I loathed Mm -hmm. who I was, especially the parts of me, Mm. you know, my sexuality, my attractions to guys, I felt so much shame around it. And so belonging to yourself, I think is important. A because it grounds you, you know, if you're Mm -hmm. grounded in yourself, everyone around you can think whatever about you and that won't affect you in any negative way um mm-hmm. and then you're also able to show up in community better you know right? i i've had many folks that i've seen after for the first time after coming out who were like gary there's just you you're you carry yourself so much lighter now you know you you show you do, up you have
0: such a great presence though this is true like i I've, i'm really feeling what you're describing yourself as and what others see you as like, you are both simultaneously very grounded and confident. And also you have this like lightness, this kind of happiness of being. And it's like, wow, I want that for everybody Mm. within the Christian church and beyond. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And I would imagine Gary, yeah, that it's liberating. And also like, you know, when we belong to ourselves, when we're our, our, when we are our authentic selves, I think we we show up to God, we show up with God more authentically. Like I know for myself, um, you know, with my own personal, you know, struggles or like parts of myself that I'm trying to improve or whatever, like when I can bring those to God and be like, Hey, um, I'm working on this God and I need some, I'm going to pray to you. I need some help around this, or I'm in fellowship with other people and we're praying together like it's more authentic when I can be honest about who I am.
1: Yeah, no, yeah. it's so true though. And I think, you know, the, the question that's been so interesting for me to answer post coming out and this, you know, this just highlights the deconstruction of my faith that happened through college and onward, but mm-hmm. my faith looks very different. And thank God from what it was when I was in <laughs> high school yeah. or even a couple of years ago. And I've been asked once every once in a blue moon, you know, typically by someone who is still in evangelicalism, but Mm -hmm. they're like, oh, how's your walk with God? And to me answering that, me, like what that brings up for me is like, oh, I'm, and I'm not saying I do all these things. This is hypothetical, but like, oh, I wake up every morning. I have my quiet time. I read three chapters of the Bible. I pray for 30 minutes. I go to church (coughs) every week. I go to home group, you Mm -hmm. know, small group every Wednesday (laughs) to me. That's like growing up, that was what, how you described your walk with God. It's like, were you doing Uh all the right things?
0: Were you checking off the boxes?
1: Yes, exactly. (laughs) And not to minimize
0: that because there is a lot of value in doing those things, but yeah. Totally.
1: I'm all for disciplines (laughs) and those things are all, um, you know, great. I'm not trying to to put those things down, but for me, it was very works oriented and faith was very much defined by those things. Mm -hmm. And so, but now when it's like, you know, how's your journey with God, I look at it more from a, I don't know, maybe like a posture standpoint, Mm -hmm. or an orientation Mm -hmm. standpoint, where, you know, you ask me, like, you know, how's your relationship with God, and I would articulate it as it's honest, it's authentic, like, I Mm -hmm. don't feel, I don't feel any shame from God, like, ever, Mm, you know, like, yeah, um, there's so much peace, around, um, you know, there's so much peace that I experience from God. And I don't know, it just feels more, My, my faith is less defined by maybe dogma and like practices and more defined by like values and how I'm embodying those in the way I'm living my life, you know, and that's from anything from cooking with my roommates on mm-hmm. a weekly basis we meal prep together like that is yeah. community i would say that's a spiritual discipline yeah. you know right there uh, <laughs> all the way to yes like i do i do attend church you know and i've engaged in different events um, we're doing there too but like i do it you know again for the community right. i'm not doing it out of a works mentality right or out um, of a mentality
0: of curating your image which was a phrase you used earlier you're, right. you're less concerned right. about like, and I, putting out an image that people will accept or, you know, you're like, I want to be me and you can either accept me that way or not, yeah. but God loves me the way I am.
1: Yes. And being able to show up, you know, since I've mentioned that my church community, um, being able to show up in that space, fully myself. And they say this at the beginning of every service, but they'll they'll tell all of us, every part of you belongs Ooh, here. That. And we really mean that. And I love that because it's not just right. lip service. It it shows in the practices that that we have, you know, the events, the weekly service and so on. What
0: kind of church and is that?
1: It's just so um, refreshing. Just for our
0: audience.
1: <laughs> yeah, it kind of it was founded by a bunch of people who came from very different okay. traditions. So it it kind of you know became like a non-denominational, but like leaning pretty high, right, liturgical, okay. um, direction. So it's kind of, you know, a fusion of a lot of different and it's Christ, uh, traditions, Christ-centered. but it's like
0: a, it's a Christian church. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. That's really cool.
1: Yeah. It's a Christian church. Um, and so, yeah, it's just so refreshing being able to, to show up authentically, you know, with, with God. And so, I don't know, circling it back to Bernie Brown and mm-hmm. true belonging, I think, you know, belonging yourself, belonging to yourself is belonging to God, is belonging to community. I mean, I think they're all inextricably connected. I totally agree.
0: And I, it, so. this just came to my mind, but I'd been talking to some peers about this recently. I think in the, um, in the fundamentalist Christian church, I've heard a lot, you know, my experience there the, the phrase joy, <laughs> Jesus, others, you. Um, so I do agree with the fact that, you know, making God the center of our life is important and cent- you know, very central it is for me as a Christian woman. Um, <clears throat> but the others and then yourself part doesn't really match up for me because I think it's really important for us to be healthy and whole as individuals, um, or to do our best, you know, to be, in communion with God and healthy as an individual. And as Brene Brown says, you know, being your authentic, healthy self. Um, and then from that mm-hmm. posture, from that place in the world, we can best love other people and help other people. Do you agree with that? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. No, I totally agree. I think watching my journey of, you know, not just coming out and beginning to integrate my sexuality, but also the deconstruction of my faith and then the reconstruction of my faith. I feel like I've seen myself. And first of all, I'm not perfect. Right. I'm human. I still judge people, you know, like I'm still working on those things. Me (laughs) too. But I do think I, I would like to think, and I think I've seen that I'm much less, you know, judgmental. And I feel like I'm able to, I don't know, just approach people from all different walks of life more mm-hmm. open-minded and with this curiosity and with like hey, how do I see Christ in these people? Mm, you know, because I and I think I think God's image is imprinted on everyone yes. and I I think that per the tradition I grew up in per from my experience, it's like if people weren't in that inner circle and if they didn't believe and do all the same things you did, they were wrong. And there was always this skepticism towards them and judgment and even this cognitive dissonance of like you know, what do you do when, I mean, this is a kind of trite example, but like, what do you do if a bunch of atheists like build an orphanage? Like, is that really God's work? Cause they're <laughs> uh-huh. atheists. And it's like, I mean, today I would yeah. say yes. Like if there is goodness in it, if it is in line with the yeah. heart of God and you know, what we see from the mm-hmm. life of Christ, yes, like totally godly. And I, I think what the world I grew up in, it was very much like, well, if it wasn't stamped with the name of Jesus or the name of Christianity, then like it wasn't kingdom work or like it wasn't you know of god and I, I think that's such a narrow way like to limit god to this very specific box of like oh god can only show up in these things that have god's name stamped on it Great. you know like <clears throat> we're missing out on a lot if we think i that agree way. gary and i think too so. the
0: kind of setting it up setting up christian culture and setting up our churches in a way that suggests it's an us versus them mentality you know a us as Christians versus them, the rest of the society, is harmful and and frankly is very opposite of what Jesus Christ did in his ministry. I mean, he was really a champion of the underdog. He made a point to sit at everybody's table um, and to work with marginalized people. And I mean, he did something so radical for his time, which was bringing together, um, you know, the Gentiles and the Jews and said, both of you, both groups are worthy of God's love, you know? So Mm -hmm. I I think Mm -hmm. when I see churches becoming very narrow minded or homogenous, I feel concerned that it is um, counter to what God really wants for us in terms of our humanity and in terms of bringing everyone to the table as God's children.
1: And how much more beautiful is the kingdom when you've got diversity? Mm. Like, there's so much beauty oh my gosh, that, so you know? Much, yeah. You look at, it's like, you know, I think Christianity, at least in the West, has been very synonymous with, I mean, it's basically been white Christianity in a lot of ways. And how much more rich could the church be if, you know, it had queer voices, if it had Black, I mean, and it does have these voices, of course, you know, in certain er- certain churches and places. Mm. But, you know, like from, you know, racial diversity to uh, diversity in sexuality, gender identity, like all those different lenses and social locations, they all see things in a different Mm -hmm. way. And I like to think that it's kind of like a mosaic and we all bring together our, 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 the way we see the world, the way we see God and faith and We're gonna get the fuller picture when everyone contributes, not when a small minority contributes.
0: Yes, I really appreciate that insight. I mean, I think the word mosaic is so is such a good visual for for what the kingdom could be and is, um, and I think what God wants it to be is just that beautiful creation. I mean, if we look at creation itself um, and everything around us in the world, there's so much diversity in plant life, you know, in in people and animals. Um, so I think that indeed, mm-hmm. among us, you know, human beings, um, the more that we can enrich our churches and our faith experience with diversity, diversity of thoughts, diversity, in terms of race, gender, orientation, and so forth. I mean, the more powerful and beautiful yeah. the work of God is here on earth. Um, so thank you for that visual yeah. of the mosaic. Amen yeah, amen, that. amen, brother. <laughs> <Of course. laughs> um, one more thing I wanted to touch on, um, and then we'll wrap up. Um, I'm really, I'm really into Rachel Held Evans' book, Inspired, right now, and she she puts mm-hmm. forth in the book a way to read the Bible that is more um, relatable and more open minded. Um, So it moves away, it takes the reader or the Christian a little bit away from this stance that the Bible is completely um, fixed, and rather that you can actually engage in scripture with more creativity. Um, She points to a Jewish tradition of Midrash, in which um, you bring Mm -hmm. a lot of imagination and debate to different uh, verses in scripture. Um, So speaking of diversity and diversity of thought, she encourages us as Christians to um try a different way of interpreting the bible and and ultimately she says you know the bible the ark of scripture points towards love and you can either use scripture as a weapon or you can use it as a healing mm-hmm. balm and um she, you know in her view god wants us to use it as a healing balm not a weapon um so can you can mm-hmm. you suggest for our audience um those of us who are allies like myself or aspiring allies <laughs> Uh, i'm certainly not a perfect ally but i'm learning um how can we use the bible and how can we use our faith as a healing balm in the lgbtq plus community gary um and and what should we not do like what we don't want to use it as a weapon anymore um no more mm-hmm. harm um only healing what do you recommend
1: oh that is such a big question i love it <laughs> <laughs> yeah um Wow. You know, the first thing that strikes me is, I think, fault in the West, and especially since the Enlightenment has been viewing as a history book. And I think even beyond that, a rule book. And we yeah. go to it expecting black and white answers for every issue that we can apply to 2020 <laughs> or our lives now. Yeah. not maybe always recognizing that cultural context is so, so, so important. And I think we would do well to have a good metric with which to determine what carries over from scripture, maybe more directly, you know, so like inclusion of the poor and marginalized, well, not just inclusion, Mm -hmm. but like equity, like, you know, them marginalized folks, not just being at the table, but helping make the meal, you know, that level of equity. Yeah. Um, which that, that imagery is not original to me, but, (laughs) um, I love it, (laughs) but it's so good. The meal. Yes. Yes. Um, yeah. And being consistent with that, um, metric, I mean, through my own studies, I came to a place where I realized, you know, there's kind of this phrase, there is this phrase that I've heard. It's not about the letter of the law. It's about the spirit of the law. And I think Mm, mm -hmm. As human beings, we crave security, we crave certainty. And I think it mm-hmm. is heck of a lot easier to find something in Scripture, determine it, determine that it's a rule for all people, all places, and to just mm-hmm. slap it onto all situations. And I think when we mm. do that, our desire for certainty shortcuts the potential growth that could happen when we wrestle. I don't think we always realize how important the wrestling and the tension and the mystery is. Right. And so Mm. I feel like what we really need is a reorientation around what the Bible is and how are we using it and what are we using it for? You know, are we using it to be exclusive? Are we using it to shame people? You know, is there good fruit being born out of people's lives from the ways we're using it or is it bringing life to people, um, and especially queer folks. You know, I think we can, we all, many of us know that there's a handful of passages that have kind of been plucked from scripture and slapped onto the queer community and been used as weapons. And mm-hmm. I don't think Jesus used scripture in that way. Um, yeah. No. And so mm-hmm. I think, you know, what I see with Christ is a very relationally oriented faith and i think we would do Mm -hmm. well to get to know folks you know to see christ in them um i think for you know for queer people like again like having a place at the table and also helping make that meal you know like yeah how does a queer person see scripture i think there's so much to be learned from that and and they're gonna have different insights. in
0: other words supporting queer people or enabling or making space for queer people to shape the Christian narrative
1: yeah absolutely definitely, I because that. i I think what happens is the church you know a lot of non affirming churches have had this ideology that says you know the LGBTq community is living in sin, therefore we need to ostracize them, and then they use the repercussions of what we then experience, the ostracizing the shame the abuse, whatever. And then those things end up bearing other bad fruit in some cases. Mm -hmm. And then those things then get used against us to justify what the church did. And it's Mm -hmm. like, okay, like if the queer community were to be included, if they knew they had a space at the table and making the meal, if, you know, all of them was truly welcome and it wasn't just lip service, but it was fully embodied, I think we would probably prevent a lot of you know, what we see in the queer community, the homelessness, the high rates of homelessness and suicide and mental health issues, you know, like, I think a lot of that could be remedied if the church were to include the queer community in a meaningful way. And not just like, you're welcome, but to a limit, but like, no, you're fully welcome here. You can participate in this community. And I think that could be an incredible healing, you know, a salve and a, and a bomb to the, the queer community and queer people of faith, you know, too. So.
0: Yeah, and a new way forward for Christianity, a new way yes. forward for the whole Christian It would be faith.
1: a game changer. So, <laughs> yes. Well,
0: yeah. Thank you, Gary. I am just feeling really blessed to have had your insights today and have you on the show. Um, you know, I want to lift you and your family up in Jesus' name. And I pray just many blessings of health and goodness and joy for you and your loved ones. Mm. And um, I thank you again for sharing your story. Um, with our audience yeah thank you you. I'll catch up with you soon and just hope that you um, have a great rest of your week
1: thank you you as well
0: hi friends Kristen VH Middleton here if you enjoyed this episode please subscribe to follow Christian Authentic and be sure to share with your friends family and community thank you as always for listening and have a beautiful day